Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following podcast is based on actual X-Files cases. The evil that is here has always been. It is gone by different names through history. Cain, Lucifer, Hitler. It does not care if it kills one boy or a million men. If you try to stop us, the blood will be on your hands. Though I believe him innocent of the crimes, I am disturbed by the warnings of the Kalashari that neither innocence nor vigilance may be protection against the howling heart of evil. Did you learn about wind in kindergarten? Welcome back to X-Files Truth. Today's file is the Kalosari. X-File number, classified. The plot. The Holvey family is at an amusement park in Murray, Virginia. The youngest member, Teddy, accidentally lets his balloon fly away. The father, Steve, gives the baby the balloon of the older son, Charlie. When the mother, Maggie, is in the bathroom, the strap that she uses to hold Teddy comes undone and the balloon floats under its own power out of the bathroom. Teddy follows the balloon and comes to the park's train tracks where he's run over. While both parents are crying, Charlie looks on angrily and the balloon returns to his hand. Three months later, Mulder shows Scully the photograph showing Teddy reaching for the balloon standing on the tracks. Mulder notes that the helium balloon appears to be moving against the wind. He introduces Scully to a digital photo expert named Chuck Burke, who uses software to uncover evidence of electromagnetic disturbances in the shape of a child holding the balloon. See, this is a helium balloon here, and the one thing I did learn in kindergarten is when you let them go, they float up, up, and away, but you see, this is moving away from him, horizontally. Did you learn about wind in kindergarten? Well, I called the National Weather Service, and they said on the day that Teddy died, the wind was blowing north. But you see, the balloon is moving south, as if it's being pulled against the wind. Pulled? By whom? Well, I don't know. That's why I came to Chuck. The king of digital imaging, Chuck can extract incredibly small details from a simple photographic print. Not details. Information. Watch the monitor. We have limitations on how much information the eye can perceive unaided, but... With this special software, which I designed, we can uh, detect hidden information. We can manipulate it, enhance it. 
watch right here. There it is. It's clearly a concentration of electromagnetic energy. So you're saying that uh, a ghost killed Teddy Holby? At the Holby home, the Holbys dispute Mulder's theory that Teddy was helped onto the tracks and Scully sees an old woman drawing a backward swastika on the boy's hand. Moments later, the old woman, revealed to be Maggie's mother, argues with her daughter in Romanian that Charlie is a devil child. The agents meet with Steve to discuss the investigation. Steve explains that Golda, Maggie's Romanian mother, was against the marriage and thought Steve was the devil. Strange things begin to happen, however, after Teddy was born and Golda came to live with the Holvies. Steve hints that Golda might be harming the children, so Scully suggests that the Holvies meet with a social worker. As Steve prepares to take Charlie to the social worker, the garage door refuses to open. When Steve tries to check the motor, the door suddenly opens and grabs Steve's tie, strangling him. As the police investigate the house, they find evidence of the ritualistic sacrifices of chickens in Golda's room and Mulder finds a film of fine dust in the garage. Burke identifies it as Vibuti, a residual sign of spiritual energy. At the Holby home, Golda and three men, the Kalasari, a group of Romanian mystics, conduct a ritual in her room. The social worker arrives to meet with Charlie. However, at the exact moment, Charlie goes into convulsions, and Maggie and the social worker see smoke coming from under Golda's door, so they look inside. Maggie is horrified and orders the old men out of the house. The evil that is here has always been. It has gone by different names through history. Cain, Lucifer, Hitler. It does not care if it kills one boy or a million men. If you try to stop us, the blood will be on your hands. The Kalasari leave, but Golda grabs Charlie and pulls him into her room, closing and locking the door. Golda tries to complete the ritual, but a table mocks her away from Charlie. Charlie holds the dead chickens above the fallen Golda, and at his command they return to life and tear Golda's face apart. By the time Mulder forces the door open, the birds and Golda are dead. When the social worker asks Charlie about it, however, he insists that he was not in his grandmother's room and declares that it was a boy named Michael. It was agreed upon. It was our secret. What secret, Mrs. Holland? What are you talking about? Michael. He was Charlie's twin. He was still one. Maggie is terrified at the claim, explaining to the agents that Michael was Charlie's stillborn twin. Golda told the parents that a ritual should be performed to separate the spirits from the twins. Charlie has another seizure and is hospitalized. Michael, pretending to be Charlie, convinces Maggie to take him home. Scully sees them leaving and checks on Charlie. They find the nurse and Charlie still in the hospital room. 
Mulder, now convinced that some kind of spirit is behind the killings, sends Scully to the Holby home to stop whatever it is about to happen. Maggie tries to conduct the same ritual that Golda has been performing. However, Michael walks in intent on stopping her. Back at the hospital, Mulder welcomes the Kalosari, who begin an exorcism ritual on Charlie. As Mulder helps with the ritual, Scully arrives at the Holby house and finds Maggie being attacked by Michael. Scully is tossed across the room by an unseen force. Just as Michael is about to stab Scully, the exorcism ends and Michael's spirit disappears. It is over for now. But you must be careful. It knows you. The strange case of Charlie Holby and the deaths that occurred during his possession by a dark and malevolent force are unsolved. The boy who will celebrate his 10th birthday next month remains under the watchful care of his mother. And though I believe him innocent of the crimes, I am disturbed by the warnings of the Kalashari that neither innocence nor vigilance may be protection against the howling heart of evil. Hand in your field report. And now for my field report for the Kalasari. I like the Kalasari. Um, it's a pretty good episode. Not a great one, but it's better than some of the um, the ones that lately I haven't been liking, but some of you guys probably have been. But um, uh, it's obviously a little bit like a Romanian version of The Exorcist. Um, I like the eeriness of it and stuff. It's a, it's a little bit scary, but it's not really scary. But like I said, it's an okay episode. It's, it's pretty good. So I'd probably give it like a 7.5, something like that. Uh, compared to other television shows, it's more like an 8.5. On the Mythometer, uh, it's obviously a monster of the week. For the sequelizer, it probably has a low potential for a sequel because when the exorcism was complete, that spirit left, you know, and uh, Michael disappeared. So unless Michael re reappears, it's got a low potential for a sequel. So this one's wrapped up. So pending any further evidence, this case, the Kalosari, is filed closed. Finally. <laughs> we haven't had a closed file in a while. So let's hand it off to Chelsea down in the chem lab and see what we have for the chemistry between Mulder and Scully for the Kalosari. Hey everyone, Agent Chelsea here. This week's episode is the Kalushadi. A pretty solid monster of the week in my opinion. Mulder and Scully are kind of more spectators in this episode. They do a lot of investigating, yes, but the investigating they do more explains what's going on, I think. The storyline is definitely more focused on not only what Charlie did, but what Charlie is doing now. The scenes with Mulder, Scully, and Chuck were a ton of fun to watch. It's always fun to watch scenes with a third party to Mulder and Scully because they kind of just sit off to the side and laugh and watch them argue and try to one-up each other. 
like in the first scene we see with them. Chuck shows them how when he manipulates the photo you can see an, an electromagnetic energy. And they're off. Mulder and Scully continue to push back and forth theory after theory disproving the others along the way. They look over to see Chuck just smile and shrug his shoulders. Now in the scene later on in the episode with the three of them, Chuck is a little more involved but Scully makes the best joke about seeing The Last Supper with his computer program. Mulder laughs with a bit of pride. That's right, Mulder. Scully has a few one-liners, too. Unfortunately, there's not much more Mulder and Scully together, but they have some incredible scenes separately at the end. What I found interesting was that Scully saw Michael. She saw him raising the knife to attack her, and she saw him disappear into the holy ash. How would Scully justify all that? I know it wasn't important to the episode, but I would have liked to hear her try to find some logic in that. And that's it for me on the Kelushadi. I'm gonna rate this episode 3 out of 5. I thought it was a good episode, fun to watch, it looked amazing, and it was entertaining. What were your thoughts? Let us know at xfilestruth at live.com. Counterintelligence. Inside information. This is Agent Stone with Counterintelligence with X2.21, the Kalusari. Original air date April 14, 1995. Written by Sarah Charno. Directed by Michael Vehar. Some kind of poltergeist activity. Stillbirth occurs when a fetus has died in the uterus. A wide variety of definitions exist. Once the fetus has died, the mother may or may not have contractions and undergo childbirth. The term is often used in distinction to live birth or miscarriage, and the word miscarriage is oftentimes used incorrectly to describe stillbirths. Most stillbirths occur in full-term pregnancies. The cause of a large percentage of human stillbirths remain unknown, even in cases where extensive testing and autopsy have been performed. A rarely used term to describe these is Sudden Antennal Death Syndrome, or SADS. The episode, the Kalusari, featured a group of Romanian elders, ethnicity and religion unspecified, attempting a folk exorcism on a Romanian-American boy. Their practice, which on the show involves chicken sacrifice, ritual dagger-waving, and the drawing of a swastika in blood on the boy's stomach, is ultimately revealed to be well-intentioned and effective, rather than sinister as it first appears. The Kalusari were the members of a Romanian fraternal secret society who practiced a ritual acrobatic dance known as the Kalus. 
According to the Romanian historian Mircea Eliad, the Calisari were known for their ability to create the impression of flying in the air, which he believed represented both the galloping of a horse and the dancing of the fairies. Due to their connection with the fairies, the Calusari were believed to be able to cure the victims of fairies and for around two weeks, from three weeks after Easter till White Sunday, would travel to all the local communities where they would dance, accompanied by a few fiddlers in order to do so. In their dance, the Calusari carried clubs and a sword, as well as a flag and a wooden horse head. They swore on the group's flag to treat each other as brothers, to respect the customs of the Calusari, and to remain chaste for the next nine days. Upon their return home, their flag was fixed into the ground, with one member climbing up in and crying out, War, dear ones, war. The origins of the Calusari are unknown, although the first written attestations are from the 17th century musical notations of Ion Kayanu. Eliad noted that although the oath taken is made in the name of God, the mythico-ritual scenario enacted by the Calusari has nothing in common with Christianity, and that in the 19th century at least, there was clerical opposition to the group, with its members being excluded from taking communion for three years in some regions. The Romanian historian of religion, Murase Eliad, believed that the term Calusari originated with the Romanian word for horse, cow, from the Latin Catalus. Traditionally, the Calusari group is a secret male-only society associated with a spring rite, possibly a remnant of tribal warrior societies. The group leader, usually an older man, recruits a number of acolytes, always young, single adults chosen for physical prowess. The group members take an oath of secrecy whereupon they participate in an initiation rite and taught the forms of the dance. The groups of Calusari roam the country in springtime, visiting villages by turns and taking part in the weekend dances. In Munchausen Syndrome by Proxy, an adult caregiver either makes a child appear sick by fabricating symptoms or actually causes harm to the child in order to gain the attention of medical providers and others. In order to perpetuate the medical relationship, the caregiver systematically misrepresents symptoms, fabricates signs, manipulates laboratory tests, or even purposefully harms the child, for example by poisoning, suffocation, infection, or physical injury. Studies have shown a mortality rate of between 6% and 10% of Munchausen syndrome by proxy victims, making it perhaps the most lethal form of child abuse. A study published in 2003 reviewed 451 documented cases of MSBP. The average age of the victims at diagnosis was 4 years old, slightly over half of the victims were aged 24 months or younger, and 75% of victims were under 6 years old. The average duration from onset of symptoms to diagnosis was 22 months. 6% of the victims were dead, mostly from apnea, a common result of smothering, or anorexia and 7% suffered long-term or permanent injury. About half of the victims have siblings, 25% of the known siblings were dead, and 61% of siblings had symptoms similar to the victim or that were otherwise suspicious. The victim's mother was the perpetrator in 76.5% of the cases and the father in 6.7%. The primary distinguishing feature that differentiates MSBP from typical physical child abuse is the degree of premeditation involved. 
Whereas most physical abuse entails lashing out at a child in response to some behavior, for example, crying, bedwetting, or spilling food, assaults on the MSBP victim tend to be unprovoked and planned. Munchausen by proxy can also have many long-term emotional effects on a child. Child victims learn that they are most likely to receive the positive maternal attention they crave when they are playing the sick role in front of healthcare providers. Many case reports describe MSBP victims who grow into Munchausen syndrome patients or continue the pattern of MSBP abuse in their own children. Seeking personal gratification through illness can thus become a lifelong and multi-generational disorder. Vibhuti is the sacred ash used in religious worship in Hinduism. The Vibhuti ash's main ingredient is generally a special kind of wood that is burned in a sacred fire or homa, but several other substances like the residue of cow dung, milk, and ghee that are prescribed in scriptures are also used. Vibhuti is placed on the forehead as it is considered sacred and holy. Some devotees add a small amount to the tongue to pay respect to the deity. The ash has several symbolic meanings. When eaten, Vibhuti imparts the blessing of the divine. When placed on the forehead of devotees, it serves as a sectarian mark. In worship connected with Lord Shiva, it is a symbol of purity and is one of the main sacraments given at Puja in all Sevati temples and shrines. It serves as a reminder to the believer to cast away selfish and worldly desires that wrap the self in Maya, and calls to mind the story of how Shiva burned Kama, the god of desire, to ashes when Kama attempted to break Shiva's focus on the divine truth. Normally worn along with red talaka, Vibhuti relates to Shiva and red talaka to Shakti. Reminds that Shiva and Shakti from the universe and everything is through the union of Shiva and Shakti. Babuti may refer to glorious attributes of the divine and in this context is translated as all-pervading, superhuman power, wealth, and so on. The script for the Kalusari was inspired by Charno's experience as a doctor of Eastern medicine. The inspiration for the entry came from an idea series creator Chris Carter had involving someone getting hanged with a garage door opener. Because the Kalasari was heavy in terms of violence, Fox's Standards and Practices Department took issues with several scenes. In addition, Carter recut the episode after it was completed in order to make it more scary. Apart from the obvious and overt references to films like The Omen and The Exorcist, this episode seems to be a little mishmash of varying truths, religions, paranormalities, and the like. I'd say that this case is closed. For now, the final word on the Kalusari, you marry a devil, you have devil child. What's going on out there? What's out there for the Kalashari? 
First, I'm going to start by reading from Agent Summers' blog, My Truth. After Mulder's explanation of the case, he introduces Scully to Dr. Charles Burks, better known as Chuck, who appears to be a man as excited by the paranormal as Mulder. Chuck explains how his software design enhances information in the photo and runs a photo of Teddy through the process. As he points out the electromagnetic energy, Chuck seems almost giddy with excitement. Although I have to wonder what type of doctor Burks holds, I do immensely enjoy as he simply sits back as Mulder and Scully battle out the details. Perhaps because of the way Chuck is more of an observer in the scene is what drew me to really like his character. In many ways, Chuck is like a typical fan, simply observing, not interfering with Mulder and Scully. Instead, he's content raising an eyebrow, nodding, and watching like the rest of us. Okay, really quick, I need to break in here and say, Agent Summer and I, we have this ongoing joke that we just have such similar thoughts on X-Files episodes, and this is just one example. Um, if you just heard my review, you know that I said something almost exactly like this. <laughs> And just minutes after writing that, I went to read this blog and look what Summer had. So yeah, I thought that was a bit funny. Continuing on, while I like the idea that an evil and deceased twin is at the root of the killings, the execution in this episode isn't entirely flawless. Looking back, are we to believe that each time we see the expressionless stare that this is the manifestation of Michael? Or perhaps Michael has possessed his twin? or even a ghost killing by an unseen hand? As it turns out, we're supposed to believe the stillborn twin has returned in all three forms, and that bothers me to some extent. Using so many methods to portray Michael makes it hard to differentiate his presence from that of Charlie. While the paranormal haunting gives license for the methods used, by using one would have simplified and perhaps helped distinguish between the twins. Another thing that confused me after watching is why Michael only returned about the time of Teddy's birth and Golda moving in with Holby's. Why the delay? From what we learn about the case, Michael would have been present since the twins were born. We can speculate that something disturbed Michael into returning, but really we have no idea what provoked him after all this time. The slight flaws in the story are not huge distractions, and overall it was dark and entertaining. The Kelushani ceremony on Charlie in the hospital room was spooky. Seeing Maggie pinned against the wall was frightening, and the Kelushani's ominous warning to Mulder, you must be careful, it knows you, was a great way to end a chilling and spooky story. I have to agree, the whole issue with Michael and him coming in all three forms was very confusing. In the beginning of the episode, you think, okay, this boy is like either possessed somehow, or you think it's directly in the boy. You never think that this could be uh, a twin until it's introduced in the second act, and then it just sort of becomes confusing. Um, I really think that they, if they were to introduce the twin, they shouldn't have had him come in a physical form later on. It really just made things kind of go out of whack. And um, 
Now, that is certainly not all of the review. Agent Summer has a lot more with that, and she also has a lot of fun, interesting facts down at the bottom of her review, so I strongly encourage you to go check that out. The next review is comes from munchkin.com, and they wrote, The premise of the Kaushadi was that evil exists as an independent force and can attack the innocent willy-nilly. It doesn't work. To blame some abstract concept for the very real actions of a human being is to trivialize real responsibility and real guilt. To dismiss Hitler, Jeffrey Dahmer, and other cultural icons of monstrosity as evil or crazy is to deny the very real psychological truth that they are what they have become for the same reason we all are. They have made choices. Having said all that, it was a hell of a ride. The camera work in the climactic scene in the grandmother's bedroom with Maggie held up against the wall by invisible forces, windows bursting, wind whipping so coldly I could feel it myself, was exquisitely done. Joel Palmer gave us the same sort of wooden demon child performance we saw in Eve and the Omen, but Lillian Chavin's death crone grandmother was bone chilling. Once again, the excellent visuals push past my intellectual disbelief to plant nightmares in my subconscious. Wonderful touches, such as the pink balloon descending silently behind Charlie slash Michael's head as he looks on his brother's body, sent a chill down my spine. The camera angles and lighting made even the grandmother's death by chicken terrifying. Images scattered throughout the episode brought in references from half a dozen horror movies. It was like watching TV with Fox Mulder at 3 in the morning. With fewer coincidences and a little more sympathy from our protagonist, this could have been a really outstanding episode. The toddler's death in the opening sequence was meant to set us up for the edge of the seat plot, but the impact of the death was so much overkill it overshadowed the rest of the story. This one gets three sunflower seeds out of five. Now, thought that what they said about the cinematography bringing everything to life and making it really scary was very true. The direction and everything was really great, and it made the episode very scary and fun to watch. All right, that's what's out there for the Kalashari. Character Profiles Profiles in Character This week's profile, The Syndicate. From Season 1 until this point in Season 2, the main foil for Agents Mulder and Scully has been the cigarette-smoking man and his ne'er-do-well henchman and lackey Alex Krychek. Along with Deep Throat X and Bill Mulder, we've also been introduced to some very speculative characters with seemingly shady and unexplained pasts. 
Beginning with the season ender Anasazi and the season 3 openers The Blessing Way and Paperclip, we will soon be indoctrinated into a new underworld of covert players and a shadow government who will become to be known as the Syndicate. I will try not to advance the narrative too far ahead for listeners who are unfamiliar with the show's future who may be watching along at home, so I will try to reveal too many spoilers and I'll just stick with some necessary background information that will come in handy when some of these characters start to get introduced. The Syndicate is a shadow government group also known as the Elders, the Consortium, and the Group. Because of their presiding over the cover-up of extraterrestrial life, they were the main force opposing the X-Files investigators Fox Mulder and Dana Scully. An embodiment of the concept of the shadow government in conspiracy theory lore, the Syndicate comprised covertly allied, influential government officials and businessmen. The Syndicate, operating at the highest levels of power, concealed from the world a program by an unidentified extraterrestrial species to colonize and repopulate the planet, as well as their own plans and stake in that future which they held to be inevitable. To carry out murder, cover-ups, sabotage, and other wet works projects, the Syndicate used an unknown number of henchmen commonly referred to as the Men in Black. The Men in Black were merciless protectors of the conspiracy whose true names, like the members of the Syndicate, were rarely, if ever, known. Many worked ostensibly for the U.S. Defense Department, the Central Intelligence Agency, the National Security Agency, along with other various government agencies. Prominent Men in Black agents included X, Alex Krychek, The Crew Cut Man, and Quiet Willie. The leader of the Syndicate was a former German industrialist named Konrad Strughold, who had fled his home country and relocated to Tunisia. However, most of the Syndicate's meetings were held at a clandestine club located on West 46th Street in New York City and did not involve Strughold due to the fact that his entry into the United States would potentially draw too much attention because of his ties to Nazi Germany. Meetings with Strughold were instead held in London. A possible front for the group, evidenced in the episode Redo 2, was a biotechnology firm called Rausch. Rausch's facilities were used in some experiments involving the virus as shown in The Beginning. Also, according to Alvin Kurtzweil, when the alien takeover was set to commence in December 2012, that's not far away, the Syndicate would have seized control of the United States via the Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA, which had the power to suspend constitutional government upon declaration of a national emergency. The Syndicate was formed at the end of World War II after the Roswell incident when German scientists were brought to the United States to work on developing an alien-human hybrid. Alvin Kurtzweil recounted that when he and Bill Mulder were young men in the military, they were recruited for a project that they were told was concerned with biological warfare. Deep Throat claimed that it began after Roswell when an ultra-secret conference of power brokers in the United States, the Soviet Union, United Kingdom, China, France, West and East Germany signed a treaty that if an alien spacecraft crashed on Earth and the extraterrestrials survived, the country that held them would be responsible for their immediate extermination. The group that would become the Syndicate existed as early as 1952 as a secret group within the Department of State. Their activities included experimenting with xenotransplantation, 
relocating ex-Nazi scientists to the United States after World War II and covering up the black oil discovered in the Pipe of Maru in 1953. The members of the secretive group within the State Department officially broke off ties with the United States government in 1973. However, some of the members continued to work within the State Department. On October 13th, the syndicate formally forged their alliance with the alien colonists at El Rico Air Force Base. The cigarette smoking man personally presented a folded American flag to the aliens, symbolizing their surrender to a superior intergalactic force. The syndicate were also commencing their work on the project, which would see an immense effort in creating an alien-human hybrid to serve the aliens as a slave race after colonization. To allow the syndicate to develop the hybrid, they were provided an alien fetus from which to extract DNA and begin research. However, the aliens demanded in exchange samples of human DNA. Members of the syndicate turned over their loved ones to the aliens as part of the exchange. The cigarette-smoking man handed over his wife, Cassandra Spender, and William Mulder reluctantly surrendered his daughter, Samantha. By March 22, 1992, the syndicate had used a vast warehouse in the Pentagon where artifacts constituting evidence of alien existence were stored. The cigarette-smoking man added an implant recovered by Mulder and Scully on their first case together to the items kept in the storage facility. As Mulder and Scully learned, other efforts to erase their findings were apparently made, including the disappearance of paperwork, such as a case file on Billy Miles that the agents had filed with the district attorney's office in Raymond County, Oregon. That's all I can say for now revolving around the syndicate, but get ready folks, because the amazing three-part mythology arc is coming up, and we're going to meet an amazing cast of characters that are going to take the series in places no one saw coming, and further explain in advance the alien race, abduction, and colonization subplots we've been intertwined with so far. Let's just say I, for one, can't wait until we meet the well-manicured man. In the words of the immortal Stan Lee, enough said. Checked your email? I found these in my email this morning. And now, the female with the emails, Agent Chelsea. If you'd like to send us some feedback, as always, there are many ways you can do so. First is our email, which is xfilestruth at live.com. We actually got an email this week from Nathan, and I'm going to go ahead and just read what he wrote. Hello there, my name is Nathan, and I could talk about X-Files 28 hours a day, 12 days a week, so I will do my best to keep this short. I'm a huge file, and have been for years. I have all the action figures, novels, comic books, and of course, all the seasons on DVD. 
For sentimental reasons, my favorite episode is Shapes, because it's the first episode I ever saw, and it's one that got me hooked. Also, werewolves are awesome. One of the things that I've always loved and appreciated about The X-Files is that it was, and still is, one of the only shows that was willing to portray people of a religious faith, most notably Scully, as equally rational as others instead of being religious whack jobs. It's a realistic and mature take on the subject that other shows seem to be afraid to touch. Anyway, I love your podcast so much and appreciate all your hard work. I also thought I would let you know that I am a writer for a video game website, bagogames.com, and during the month of October I am putting out a video series for our YouTube page in which I upload a video of me playing a horror video game every day of the month, and I will be doing commentary during my playthroughs. The only reason I bring it up is that the video for October 26th will be me playing the PS2 title, X-Files Resist or Serve. I don't want any publicity for it or anything. I don't even expect you to read this on the podcast. I just wanted to let you know in case you wanted to watch it, as it is a great game filled with great stuff for X-Files fans. And if I remember correctly, I even mentioned your podcast during it. Anyway, sorry this was long. Thanks for the podcast and giving the fans something to listen to for a much-needed X-Files fix. Nathan. Thank you so much, Nathan. I'm so glad that you are enjoying the show and that it's helping you get your X-Files fix. And thank you for sharing uh, your favorite episode. And it's interesting that it shapes, but I I understand the sentimental reason. Um, I have We all have our sentimental episodes of our first one that got us hooked. Um, as for your website, I'm so sorry if I said it wrong. Um, I wasn't quite sure on how to pronounce it, but very excited to see this video. You, you mentioned in a later email that it wasn't going to go live until October 1st, so I haven't obviously got a chance to see it, but I'm very excited and I hope everyone on here will go check that out. We're going to post a link to the website and hopefully you guys will be able to see the YouTube video on October 1st. We will definitely post that on our Facebook page when it comes up and we'll post it on our website in the next episode. And we hope that you definitely all check that out. This sounds like a lot of fun. So thank you so much again, Nathan, for emailing us and telling us all about that. Very excited again. You can also send us feedback on our Facebook page, which Marion has sent me another message giving us her thoughts on Humbug. I loved the Humbug podcast, but with the episode, it feels a bit like it was with you. When thinking of X-Files, I don't think of Humbug at first which is a pity because this was one of the rare X-Files comedies. First, I didn't like it too much, although those strange human beings were a little too creepy for my nerves, but as I rewatched it and watched Chris Carter's comment on it, I started to like this episode, and watching the scene where Mulder is judged completely right as FBI agent, I couldn't stop laughing. I think I read somewhere that this scene is rated as the funniest X-Files episode ever. How right they are. And, of course, Scully eating that cricket was great. The unbelieving look of Mulder's... The unbelieving look on Mulder's face just completes that moment. 
Totally agree, Marion. I love that scene. I think it's hilarious. And it's very true. This episode, it kind of throws you off a bit since it is the first. You don't expect it. And so at first you're probably just like, wait, I'm sorry. Am I watching the right show here? But then I think after a while you, you realize that it's pretty funny and it's a decent episode and you grow to like it even more. Thank you again, Marion, for sending your thoughts in. You can also send us an iTunes review. We greatly appreciate those because they put us at the top of the list of the X-Files podcast so that more people can find us and enjoy the podcast. You can also post comments on our website and check out all the links of everything we talk about in this episode, including the songs that are played and any websites that are mentioned. Um, that is xfilestruth.com. Please go check that out and leave us your thoughts there too. And we hope to hear from you all. Thanks again. on X-Files Truth. While pursuing two escaped convicts, agents Mulder and Scully discover a highly contagious and deadly disease which has infected some of the prison population and quite possibly the escapees as well, escalating the risk of a nationwide outbreak. X-Files DNA. The end theme that I injected with X-Files DNA today is the X-Files main theme, the Exorcist Remix. And to see all the music that we used on today's show, just go to xfilestruth.com. While you're there, click on the Area 51 link if you want to see the countdown to colonization. We have a, there's a picture of a Mayan calendar there. Just click on that and you'll see how much time is left before the alien invasion. Also, we'll put up the links to the uh, site bagogames.com from emailer Nathan for his YouTube series, The 31 Days of Terror. Don't forget to leave a review at iTunes. That helps us a ton. And that's everything. We will see you guys in two weeks. Oh, almost forgot. Agent M sent in a gag reel that he made for the Kalasari episode. So you'll hear that in the bonus section. So, okay, see you in two weeks. It is over. Hurrah.
strange case of Charlie Holvey and the deaths that occurred during his possession by a dark and malevolent force are unsolved. Vigilance may be protection against the howling heart of evil. I made this. 20th century Fox. <laughs> okay. Oh, there we go. 
That's a boy. What a good boy. Okay. Okay, Daddy. I'll be right back, okay? There were six in the bed, and one said, fall over, fall over. So they all rolled over, and one fell back, and in the bed, and one fell over, So they all rolled over, and one fell With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.